I'm Jason Solomons. Welcome to Sounds Jewish from The Guardian. In this month's podcast, are British Jews ending their love affair with New Labour and returning to the Tories? And when did Yiddish enter the vernacular? When did non-Jews start strewing their sentences with words born in the shtetls they have never seen? The non-Jews who mispronounce Yiddish and are Jewish parents too overprotective? Oh, my precious... Honey, you feel thin. No, no. You're not eating. So it's politics, parenting and plutzing. It sounds Jewish from The Guardian. Shalom, shalom. And joining me in the studio this month to be on our illustrious Sounds Jewish panel are comedian Josh Howie and academic and writer Morris Glasman. Josh, muzzle tov to you. You've just had a baby boy, is that right? That is right indeed. Thank you. What's his name? Mordechai. Say hello to him for the first time live hey, on the air. Hey, Mordechai. I'm not giving him any chance. He's a Jew. He gets the most Jewish name I've found. <laughs> is he gorgeous? He's absolutely gorgeous. He is the best looking Jew since Natalie Portman. <laughs> As, and, is he, have you had the bris yet? You're doing a No, bris? we're saving it. We got that in uh, about a week's time. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's so a it's... traumatic day, but we wish you the best of luck with that. Uh, apart from changing nappies, um, which is always a, a joyous experience of green gunk, um, you've got a comedy with a cause coming up as well, haven't you? I've always got comedy with a cause. Every time I get these calls, you know, we've got some Jew thing going on. Can you come down and give us, a, you know, do it for free? Yeah, yeah, right. Here we go. I don't know what it's for. I did the other day I did one for Israel, Israeli and Palestinian kids. And I, but I went on and I said, look, I just want to make sure that 50% of this money is going to the Israeli kids because, you know, they need some Xboxes and Wii's and whatnot. So, uh, anyway, I give my time very well. <laughs> but I think you're doing, the, the, you're doing one at the Comedy Store, which is for our sponsors as well, the JCC. And JCC the in the house. In the house. Well done. Josh Howie, uh, you're a new father. He's still got the energy to come on Sounds Jewish. We thank you. Uh, Maurice Glassman, you're the director of the Faith and Citizenship Programme at London Metropolitan University and the architect of... Of Blue Labour. First of all, where's London Metropolitan? It's in the East End. Just Where else? Coat Lane. Lovely, in the homeland. Is Isn't it on Holloway Lane. Road as well? Isn't that London yeah, Metropolitan? Yeah, we don't talk about them. That's got the lovely Liebeskind building. It's the other shore. Jewish architects. The other shore, no one goes yeah. there. Uh, and Blue Labour, what's that about? Well, it's sort of Jewish Labour bringing back conservative values to socialism, self-organisation, family life, faith. And, and you, you're the architect of it. You, it was your document. Well, I made it up yet. You made it up, yeah. right? Exactly. Well, you can you can proselytise about it on here, and maybe we get some get some converts because I think uh, Labour might want to take some advice from your manifesto, as I think it's fair to say they were well and truly trounced in the recent uh, European elections—a disastrous, not, not unexpected result for Gordon Brown. But what part, I wonder, did Britain's Jews play in those results and in voting patterns generally around the UK? Which parties got Jewish support? Sounds Jewish did its own straw poll in the iconic seat of Finchley and Golders Green. Once held, of course, by Margaret Thatcher herself, it switched to Labour in 1997. But now it's a closely fought marginal. So how are the Jews in that battleground seat leaning these days? I voted Conservative. And to be honest, the main reason was because of the BNP, was to stop them from getting any seats in the European elections. My choice to switch from Labour to Conservative wasn't actually really uh, Jewishly motivated. I mean, I lost uh, a lot of trust after Tony Blair was in power, and I, I think a lot of it, unfortunately, has transferred over to Gordon Brown. Labour, when they first set out um, in, in the predominantly Jewish areas to capitalise on the Jewish vote, came out with a lot of... Um, promises and a lot of ideas and a lot of inspiration to, to secure the Jewish vote. They went around and they met with the religious leaders and we're going to give this money, we're going to give that money. In my opinion, they've used the Jewish, the Jewish public's opinion of them. I always have voted Conservative uh, and now even more because unfortunately 
they are gutless and ballless. They can't even say sorry. Joining me now, and of course my guests, Maurice Glasman and Josh Howie, in the studio is Stuart Pollock, a Conservative Party activist and director of the group Conservative Friends of Israel. Stuart, uh, many thanks for joining us on Sounds Jewish. We heard there from those people in Maggie's old seat. It is indeed a long walk to Finchley. Uh, is it a strong indicator, do you think, of Anglo-Jewry's voting habits at large? Where are Anglo-Jews politically at the moment? I think, first of all, to say that uh, Finchley and Golders Green, if I'm not mistaken, is the number one target seat for the Conservatives at the next general election. So if they don't win that seat, um, they won't be forming a So government. that's the, basically the so bellwether This is vein. number one, number one. So in terms of majority and, and so on and so forth. On this show, we, we've concentrated lots on Israeli politics, lots on American politics, mm. and what uh, floats Jewish votes in the US and, uh, and in Israel. But what gets Jewish voters here in the UK? What issues turn them from blue to red or red to blue? Oh, I think it's just the general. I don't think majority of Jews will think you know, are they good for us? Unless they're unsure where they're going to vote. At that point, they'll say, well, hang on, has he done well for us? Or is he somebody that will understand our issues? Has he been to Israel? Has he stood there? Uh, what did he say when Shechita, for instance, was being mentioned uh, in Parliament or elsewhere? What, what's Shechita? Shechita is the uh, religious uh, slaughter of animals for to make them... Uh, uh, kosher. So the Kashrus law, so things that, that yeah. directly impact on the, the day-to-day yeah. lives of Jews. But does that is Israel one of those issues? And Britain starts oh, towards Israel. I think Israel Israel is an issue for people on the, on uh, Jewish community on the doorstep. Absolutely. Uh, Morris Glassman, if I can and bring you in here, uh, we're just talking about the, the history of Jewish voting in this country. I think the historic connection uh, has always been with the Labour Party from the early working-class Jewish immigrants who settled in London's East End. There was always an affinity uh, with from Toynbee Hall onwards to the the, the, the Labour movement. Yeah. There's been a tremendous affinity. I mean, also Jews, the poor Jews from Eastern Europe, had really imbued a lot of socialism over there. So there's a big, there's a big socialist story going on with the Jewish community. There was also very strong uh, communist support among Jews. I mean, uh, Phil Paratin was voted overwhelmingly by Jewish voters as the communist MP. But Labour, Labour was a very conservative working class party. What uh, issues were going to change though, those kind of bedrock votes? I mean, I'm thinking of the the, the Oswald Mosley uh, events yeah. in the East End, the riots in Cable Street. What, what, did that was that how did that politically go down I, I, in the UK? Were, were the Conservatives seen as an anti-Semitic party? The Conservatives that? were the party of appeasement, above all. Um, Neville Chamberlain and the Conservative Party did flirt very strongly with anti-Semitism. So Jews were very strongly Labour, but the big party that actually fought against the fascists were the Communist Party, and, and we don't talk about it much anymore, but that had strong Jewish support too. So was the first time that the, that the Anglo-Jews came out in favour of a Conservative majority, was that due to Maggie Thatcher and her, and her part in being, I suppose, uh, from the mercantile classes, the grocer's daughters well, herself working in Gold about, She talked about family, she talked about self-reliance. She talked about responsibility, and all of those are absolutely core Jewish values. So tell me about Blue Labour that you, you, you've uh, you've kind of drawn up. How's that going to... Who's it, who's it supposed to appeal to, the Blues or the Reds? Well, it's above all supposed to, supposed to engage... It, it comes out of Jewish values, uh, very strong on the integrity of family life, very strong on limiting the power of money in community, and very strong on reciprocity mutuality and solidarity so the jews in the east end they built they buried each other they had their workers circles they educated each other it's about returning to an idea that we actually look after each other and we can't rely on the state to do that if i can just go back a second 
Uh, in the Thatcher period, there's no question the Jewish community voted towards uh, and supported her. Uh, and I would argue, actually, it's not necessarily due to what she was saying at the time, but it was the move of the Jewish community who'd come from those East End and come from the socialist background that was referred to, but moved into sort of the, the middle classes. What I think is that the Jewish community, even to today, are sort of a, it's a litmus test, if you like, for the... Uh, for the middle class. It's where the middle class is in general. And the middle classes went with Thatcher uh, for, for all the reasons that we know. They then went with Blair in 97 mm -hmm. for all sorts of reasons. And it appears that they are returning back to the Conservatives uh, at the moment. Uh, Morris, you were going to say something. Yeah, just to say that New Labour, in terms of its strategic thinking, targeted the Jewish community as its most important swing community and made enormous efforts, appeared at the JIA, um, supported Jewish schools. Tony Blair and Gordon Brown have both absolutely made a pitch for Jewish vote. And the J who are the JIA in this? The JIA are, are a Jewish charitable organisation. So the, the, I'm, what I'm wondering, is there something in, in, in the Jewish philosophy, in the Jewish religion, in the Jewish culture that is uh, ultimately political, that can be appealed to by political parties? Is there something that unites Jews as voters? Well, I think the self-help thing that you talked of, I mean, the Jewish community forever has had has been a self-help community whether we talk of, of the Jewish charities that we, we all know uh, have always looked after each other and that was something that was very much uh, epitomised by Thatcher and then Blair did it now you see Blair and Brown I would argue um, did this in spite of their party in spite of the bulk of their party they became very supportive of Israel and very supportive of the Jewish community and yes they did go to no, certain no, events no, Thatcher's philosophy was definitely that you look after yourself I mean, that, so there was space in, within the Jewish community for New Labour to say, but it's also about helping others. I mean, that was, that was a big limit yes, on What, on what she was trying to do and what she did successfully, I, I would argue, is that she wanted people to get on. Yeah. And so the council houses, for instance, yeah. being, being able to buy your own, to be proud, but to be course, able to do things for yourself, the, in, and that's from, something which was enabled from, and then followed on but by Brown and Blair yeah. in that area. But they, they also had... You know, poor people also have somewhere to live. So I think I think New Labour definitely tuned into. It wasn't a purely cynical exercise. It tuned into the limit of Thatcherism, which was individualism, consumerism, and tried to talk about a common good. Uh, I think I asked you earlier, uh, Stuart, what you know, who if you want to be a friend of Israel, who do you support in 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 this country? Well, you have to look at uh, where we're at today. You know, um, probably eighty percent of Conservative members of Parliament are affiliated or involved with conservative friends of Israel. You see, they see Israel as a bulwark, as, 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 a, as a, the coalface against a lot of activity around, which is, uh, uh, and they do support. I mean, David Cameron, two years ago, I remember him saying that being a supporter of Israel is in the DNA of a conservative. He said that uh, publicly. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think generally today that's where it is. It is easier, no doubt, for me, running Conservative Friends of Israel to get people to stand up and, and understand Israel than it is on the Labour side. But, Morris, Blair, who is a friend of Israel, is now the Middle East envoy, but had committed to uh, very much kind of a, a two-state solution mm. to uh, the Middle East and has allied himself to the US in that. Uh, but British Jews, I think, are still suspect of Labour on that issue, aren't they? But one thinks of Ken Livingstone, who was mayor of London uh, and really did not do himself any favours in the anti-Semitic stakes. Yeah, I mean, there, there's two issues... Um, 
that that's certainly the case with Ken. Uh, the the first is is that is that the Labour Party was instrumental in bringing in supporting Israel, um, the vote at the UN, uh, the Labour Party. The Conservatives were much more much more hostile at the time, and so you know I know they say they found you know the Jewish gene you know Levi's, but um, in terms of the DNA of the Conservatives, I would say that the whole Israel thing is actually much closer to the heartlands of 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 Labour. Uh, and and Howard Wilson was also an extremely strong supporter in a way that you could never say was the case with Alec Douglas Hume or Macmillan. Um, or, or Winston Churchill. <laughs> you know, we yeah. can pick out individuals, but I don't think that's helpful. And and to go back into history is not helpful. In terms of now, in terms of, of Blair and Brown, they've been extremely strong and consistently strong. But what there is is a real um, rage going on in the left about Israel, which, which they're blocking off. So in terms of the leadership, you could... I mean, I mean, Jews have been have been faithfully served. But in terms of what's going on at universities, in terms of what's going on in the Labour Party, there's, there is um, a, a very great hostility to Israel. And the question is, is it best for Jews to get involved with that, debate that, deal with that? I mean, that's a very important argument, and I would say it's best not to walk away. Morris Glasman, Josh Howie, you stay with us. We'll be talking to you later in the show. Stuart Pollock, Director of Conservative Friends for Israel. Thank you very much for joining us on Sounds Jewish Thank this you month. For me. You're listening to Sounds Jewish with me, Jason Solomons. Josh Howie, comedian, is still with me in the studio, as is Morris Glassman from London Metropolitan University. Uh, Josh, as a new parent yourself, make sure you listen hard to this bit because you could learn something. We've all seen the films packed with neurotic, overprotective Jewish parents. Just think of Meet the Fockers with Barbara Streisand and Dustin Hoffman playing those suffocating, infantilising, but very loving parents to Ben Stiller's little character, Gaylord Fokker. All this, of course, is in sharp contrast to his new non-Jewish in-laws, cold, stiff and uptight. So are Jewish parents naturally more loving, nurturing, suffocating, strangulating? Why is that? The Jewish Community Centre for London have organised a parenting workshop this month with expert Miriam Chichamu, and we caught up with her for some advice. I've been waiting so long to see my, my best buddy. Good to see you. Come here! Okay. Come here! Oh, okay. oh I missed you. <laughs> oh. all right, all right. Is this not the most handsome young man you've ever seen uh. in your life? I used to call him a young Jewish Marlon Brando. My name is Miriam Chachamu and I'm a family therapist. The way I see it is that parents generally have a challenge. They need to balance loving their children unconditionally and knowing, letting them know that they are accepted the way they are, for who they are but also getting them to behave in a way that fits into society in general. So we're really giving our kids a message saying, we love you, we love you so much the way you are, and you need to change. And I think for Jewish parents in particular, this bit of I, you need to change you, is stronger than other people. Oh, my precious. Oh, I love you so much. I haven't seen my football in months. <laughs> Honey, you yeah. feel thin. No, no. You're not eating. Yeah, Jewish families tend to be louder, I would say, and more alive and vivid. And that's, I, I don't, I personally don't have a problem with that, unless it bothers the people involved. Um, 
there's kind of this ideal of this family where everything is always calm, nobody ever shouts, everybody's always happy and polite and kind and um, generous towards each other, and I don't know if this family really exists. Come on, honey. How often do we get to be grandparents? We are having a toast. Okay, fine, but Dad, this is a secret. We can't tell Jack till after we're married. Why? We're honest people. No, I can't stand this secrecy anymore. Why should we diminish our joy just because they live in denial? Shush! I think Jewish parents, by and large, have got more expectations, they value education more, um, they're more closely involved in their children's life, and they really want them to be successful and to have friends and to be happy, like any parent would, but maybe slightly a little bit more. And I find that some Jewish parents do push their kids a little bit more than they can really take. And as I said, the result is often for the child to just think that whatever they try is not good enough. Uh, Josh, Howie, uh, any of that chime with your childhood? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but then I was the best, so that would, then it all worked out. And you still fine. are. Yeah, no, exactly. So, uh, no, I actually, I my parents were very loving stuff and got to the point where I actually, when I was seven, uh, I moved to Israel and I actually thought I was the Messiah. That was a serious part of my life, which actually turns out to be, it's quite a common phenomenon. It's known as the Messiah complex, which sounds like an apartment block for single Jewish men in their 30s. But, um, yeah, I'm still not over that. <laughs> but your mother converted from Judaism to Buddhism, didn't she? Yeah, she became, she hated the whole... Jewish thing so much she decided to go and be a Buddhist and then Native American and all that and dragged me along with it. So was she an overbearing Buddhist? Oh she was a night yeah yeah she was an overbearing and she couldn't get rid of the Jew. The Jew was there she was like she was like a sort of self-hating Jew but like you know she you know anytime she sort of but she saw a bagel she'd become more shrill. (laughs) So what 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 is it what is a Jewish mother Buddhist like if you maintain the the traits of the Jewish mother the Mm. the kind of the, the 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 breasts I'm thinking the suffocation Big breasts. He's got very big breasts. Yes. Uh, so Thank you Buddha. for talking about my mother's breasts. But Buddha breasts. does as well. I'm wondering if that was the oh, there, there are connections, yes. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, it was very hard for her to get the calming side of it. But I think we had to be the best Buddhists. That's the thing. So you were meant to chart. She like forced us to chart like two hours a day and we had to get it right. And we were like sitting there and it was very pushy, pushy, pushy. You are a Buddhist, you are a Buddhist. And that was it. <laughs> Morris, what was your uh, childhood like? Well, I was thinking about what was never mentioned in my childhood was happiness. Happiness was not rated in any way whatsoever. I can't remember my parents ever saying, we just want you to be happy. We want you to be good. We want you to do right. But happiness, what's happiness? It's got nothing to do (laughs) with it. Maybe they all come from it. You know, if you're doing right, if you're a good Jew, then then happiness is a a natural byproduct. I I think it was seen as a very superficial non-Jewish concept that wasn't worth pursuing. Right. Uh, And what have you done about that? Well, I've never pursued it, and right. it's not. So, you look very you know, miserable. So, you know, meaning is good. Relationships, 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 that was the key. Being good to your mother. That, being good to your mum, was the test of anybody's character. And, and the key to happiness as well, I found out. Well, it was the key to avoiding absolute misery. <laughs> yeah. It, it, the Jewish mother is, is, is key here. Mm. It's quite an interesting, an interesting comic stereotype, but presumably gives you a lot of grist to your comic meal, Josh. Yeah, yeah. And, well, that's some, the thing is, with my wife being a convert, I'm having to literally train her up. To be the guilt, you know, there's you're not, look, guilt, do, you're not guilting him enough. You need to. How do you, so how do, you they, do that? Because yeah. um, it's something I've, I've wrestled with too, and my wife has wrestled with it too. When you learn uh, from a non-Jewish lady to convert into Judaism, mm. they, they they learn the laws, they learn kashrus, they mm. learn history, I suppose. But do they learn the, the, the key things about doing, being a Jewish mother? Well, no, but but I think you can be trained, and I have been on a sort of mission to train her, and to you know, she was far too happy and mm. sort of nonchalant about life and stuff. And now I could say I've pretty much turned her into. 
very angsty Jew. Um, I'm very proud of the work that I've done in the last eight years. I think the key value is, is that the children can never be good enough. Disappointment has got to haunt the scene. I think that's the key Jewish okay. is value. That, is that it? See, the mother, I think, and the Jewish mother, she, she loves the child. The child is always wonderful, does brilliant. But the father, isn't he there to play the kind of, no, he's not quite good enough, you no, should have No, no, the higher. father's the nice, sweet guy. It's the mother. I mean, I was at a mitzvah last Thursday at a Jewish pub in Hendon. It was an experience at a table with parents. I told a Jewish pub? A Jewish pub called Fernandez, right? I'd never been there before. It was Sephardic, very interesting. you know what they're like. No, no, it was, it was Fardy, Beth Din and United Synagogue. It was kind of mixed bar mitzvah. Anyway, I was at this bar mitzvah at the table and, and this whole ethos of the Jewish mother came, I remember, came through to me. We were talking about our children doing their A-levels, GCSEs, and this mother asked how Avi was doing and she said, if he revised he'd be a genius, but as it stands, he's a schmel, right? And that is the Jewish part of the There's total belief that you could be good, but also a simultaneous idea that you are, in fact, a wanker. Right? That's the... <laughs> uh, let's talk about bar mitzvahs, because they, they tend to be a kind of, you know, a, a kind of high point of, of, of parental love for the child, a big kind of expression of this is my child, this other expression of oneself. Uh, have you had been to... You mentioned that bar mitzvah before. Have you been to any other more outrageous bar mitzvahs? Yeah, well, the most outrageous was, was a bar mitzvah where they made a, um, a bust of the bar mitzvah boy's head in chopped liver. <laughs> But what was also interesting about it was people oh. kept on putting their finger in it and taking a bit. Well, of so course it looked like a, it in, looked, in the liver or the, so in the in liver. The yeah, for okay. the liver, it was fantastic. It looked it looked like a ravaged portrait oh. of of grief. Who, who sculpted such a thing? Presumably, chopped herring would would have, would have just collapsed. Would have melted earlier. So, do you think there is something in? Judaism that makes different parents. I mean, aren't all parents particularly feeling feeling that way? Have nice. you noticed that? I've, I've, I've never met any group of parents who who believed more in their children and simultaneously were more disappointed with them. It's that combination of un- devotion and disappointment that I think gives us the edge in this. I mean, do you instruct because Josh and I are very new to this. Are we looking forward to this parenting thing, Josh? Um, yeah, I'm very excited. I mean, family is the the, the bedrock of Judaism, mm-hmm. and uh, and it's, I'm I'm really privileged to you know to be part of it. I'm super excited and and sappy, and I love it. I'm yeah. loving it. If nothing else, it's going to provide you with material for years. I've already to got come. like ten minutes. It's it's worth it. <laughs> Britain's got talent, but it certainly hasn't got Yiddish. My emotions are still running high after that show, not because Susan Boyle didn't win, of course, but because Piers Morgan made me very, very cross. Whilst giving feedback to one of the contestants in this series, he referred to them as having chutzpah. What? What on earth's that? I hear you shout. What he meant to say was, of course, chutzpah. So, why is it that our non-Jewish friends try to co-opt our Yiddishisms, our little phrases from the shtetl that bond us with our great-grandparents from the old world? And why is it that when they do, they mispronounce them? Or in the worst case, they misuse these precious words. Are they all schmendricks? Tanya Gold, a Yiddish maven, if ever there was one, gets even more broigus, or should that be braugus? Dort wie groß in seinen Nächsten steht der Kreinitzelvertrag. When did Yiddish enter the vernacular? When did non-Jews start strewing their sentences with words born in the shtetls they have never seen? Und der Sonne wie weiße Beeren wachsen tägen größen Sorg. Und in der Weitkeit fuhren die Sterren tanzen jagten in der Ort. 
walking through the streets of London, it's hard not to think you're eavesdropping on thousands of Cockney Isaac Bashevis singers. But when listening to the British pronounced in Yiddish, you usually hear another language entirely. A schmuck from an English mouth isn't an imbecile. It's a schmock, a type of dress worn during pregnancy by a woman with a lisp. A schnorrer isn't a beggar. It's a schnorrer, someone who makes animal sounds in bed. A schlong isn't a penis. It's the way Southern Baptists say goodbye to each other. Shalom! Now, I don't pretend to be a Yiddish speaker, but, as with all Ashkenazi Jews, Yiddish litters our conversations at the dinner table. As a family, we speak Yinglish. To outsiders, it must seem very strange. Why are the Jews speaking two languages? Isn't one bad enough? But we accept it, along with the fishballs and the anti-Semitism and the auto-anxiety. We don't even think about how weird we sound. Oi, gewalt, says Mother, apropos of nothing, in perfect received pronunciation. Papa says my sister in response. I suspect this means, go away from me, evil spirits, and do not smite this house with bacteria, infection, or ill luck. Yinglish has been spoken in America for years. That was inevitable. America is the country that has released Yiddish songs sung courtesy of Julie Andrews. And even my mother doesn't think that Julie Andrews is Jewish. But today, everyone speaks Yinglish, whether they know it or not. You schmuck, or schmock, says the greengrocer. What chutzpah, or chutzpah, says the woman in the dry cleaners. Who is to blame for this babble of Babel? How can you even ask? It's Alan Sugar Schmuck. Schmuck. He has done what Topple could never do. He has made Yiddish sexy. He sits on BBC One schmoozing, schlepping and selling schmutter like an angry Jewish toy with a weird kind of sex appeal. Terry Wogan never said schmutter on TV, but he's an Irishman. Sugar is the ambassador of Yinglish. He even says he wants to make a version of The Apprentice in Yiddish. Now that will run forever. Yiddish was never supposed to be sexy. When the Jews speak German, how could it ever be sexy? But, at the end of the day, I can't help but be touched by our gentle Gentiles friends' attempts to speak our language. As we all reach out for understanding between faiths and nations, how sweet it is to hear potential BNP voters say, Oi vey, it's election day. Josh Howie, does the mispronunciation of Yiddish get your goat? Yeah, well, you know, like Tanya says, I think it's nice when people do try, but it is it is quite annoying, and I do have to spend quite a lot of time to people explaining it. But the most embarrassing thing in my whole life was when, because I'm a sort of, I'm like a self-read Jew, like I had to teach myself from scratch, and I remember reading Exodus when I was about 16, and reading the, 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 the biblical the, book or the Leon Uris book? Oh, sorry, novel. the Leon Uris book, uh, <laughs> a bit more entertaining, uh, but, you know, less fantasy. So we, uh, maybe more fantasy <laughs> to some people, I guess. Uh, anyway, um... But, um, and I re- re- keep reading this word, and I, was, and I remember I sat down, and my mom was there, and she had a few Jewish friends, and I thought, this is my moment to announce my Jewishness to the world. And I said, I'd like to make a toast now. I'd like, le chaim. And they were like, what? And I go, the chaim, le chaim, you know, the Jewish toasting. They were like, what? Le chaim. And that was, uh, that was very, very painful, 16-year-old shrinking back into <laughs> shell. <laughs> Morris, are you, a, are you a Yiddish user? Yeah, definitely. And, and I think Tanya Gold got it uh, really quite wrong there. I mean, there there was London Jewish and London Jewish. The two crucial pronunciations were bagel and schmuck. And then in America, it was schmuck and bagel. Mm. And the American Americanization of Yiddish. I think we've got distinctive pronunciation of Yiddish in London, which we shared with our non-Jewish neighbours. I'd say that it's not just the mispronunciation. It's it's the actual. I mean, chutzpah 
is I think used in a different way from its real mm. meaning. I mean, you know, in 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 English or when when you know when it's used in this country by sort of non-Jewish people, it's sort of uh, it's sort of you know confidence. Hey, look at look at the husband. But the real meaning is it's like a real it's arrogance. It's well, a bit it's, harsh. It, you than know, that. the definition is is to kill both your parents and then plead the mercy of the court as an orphan. Yeah, that's <laughs> chutzpah. That's yeah. Yeah. Uh, Josh, you you um, do you work it into your act? Do you do you yeah, use it? Yeah, so I've got of... a joke about how you couldn't be you can't be gay and Jewish, as my rabbi always says, two schlongs don't make a kike. Um, <laughs> and everybody always gets gets the well, word. That's sh- your rabbi talking. Yeah. Oh, unbelievable. It's, it's a joke. Yeah, yeah. So um, <laughs> there is something though that really clangs when a, a, a non-Jew, especially a white Anglo non-Jew, uses a Yiddish saying. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, in Piz. Morgan's case, that example. To be honest, everything that he says, I find annoying. So, uh, <laughs> yes, but so it was. It was like I'm annoyed. I'm at a level of annoyedness, and then he says chutzpah, you know, and then my my brain is just going to explode. He's, he's trafe. Piers Morgan. Trafe. Is it trafe? Yeah, no, definitely trafe. trafe. No Britain's got it. trafe. Yeah, Britain <laughs> has a lot of trafe. I'm very pleased for them. I'm very pleased if, if the Yiddish can be more widely used, but it must be used correctly. And we must be strict about this. And the only way you can do that is listen to Sounds Jewish on a regular basis. Tune in, download, subscribe. Uh, there must be a Yiddish word for it, but I just don't know what it is. Pay your membership, please. <laughs> Pay! <laughs> My thanks to Morris Glassman, you can hear there, and to Josh Howie, of course. Good luck with little Mordechai. May he grow strong and be fruitful. Amen, amen. To our sponsors, the Jewish Community Centre for London. From me, Jason Solomons, and my producer, Sarah Peters, it's goodbye. Shalom, shalom.